Africa, home to the most unique people in the world. A place that connects us through our customs, traditions, and even belief itself. Join Mukundi Mudao in Tribal Pursuit, a series that ventures deep into Africa to discover the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. Join the conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. Travel Pursuit is the name of the show and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. Five minutes past ten is the time and I hope you're enjoying your Wednesday morning. Last day of spring. Wait, last day? Yeah, according to Howard Feldman, last day of spring. And tomorrow is the start of summer. Or if you follow the normal calendar, then today's the last day of winter and tomorrow is the start of spring. And I hope you're going to have fun. Go out in the sun. But for today, do enjoy your coffee, much like I'm do- I'm doing right now. Travel Pursuit is the name of the show and what we do, we go into Africa and we explore the different Jewish communities and we interact with them because I'm pretty sure you've asked yourself before, who, who are the Jews of Africa? Well, your good friend Mugundi is here to answer that question. If you want to get in touch with me, you can freely do so. If you want to SMS me, that's 34519. If you want to tele- if you want to send me a message on Telegram, that's 0618951019. If you want to email me, that's onair at highfm.com. And if you're on Twitter and you want to tweet me, that's just at highfm. So today we're going to be going to Mozambique. Isn't that exciting? We're going to be talking to the Mozambican Jewish community. I'm actually going to be talking to the leader of the Mozambican Jewish community, very small community, and his name is Sam Levy. Stay tuned for that. That's, of course, in the second half half of the show you will enjoy it i i promise you (laughs) i do have some great music for you of course i have some great stories for you i'm going to tell you about what's happening in africa more like an africa update like i usually do just a few stories one or two and then of course i'm going to tell about animals i'm going to bestow some wisdom upon you with my african proverb and it wouldn't be travel pursuit without our beautiful african music would it this is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9, hi FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. It is 10.13 right now, still Wednesday the 31st of August, the last day of spring or the last day of winter, depending on how you're looking at it. And it's that time of the day where I have to tell you what's happening. By the way, Slailo Slut, Mamudieri. I love that part where he just goes, for some reason, I appreciate harmonizing more than singing. I feel like anybody can sing, but harmonizing is a whole different skill. You know, that's that's an entirely different sport. And if you can do it and do it really well, then kudos to you. <laughs> back to business. Back to the real and serious business. Let's start. In, let's start here at home. I want to talk about something that that everybody's been talking about. Rather, the pan. Excuse me. The Pan African Parliament slams Limpopo Health MEC over Zimbabwean patient debacle. You don't know what's happening. Allow me to tell you. Popiramatuba, or Dr. Popiramatuba, who is the MEC of Health in Limpopo, said some comments, or rather she was filmed saying some, some, some rather controversial statements, you know, and it's probably the most polarizing video out right now, because on one side you have people agreeing that, yeah, she was right. On one side you have people saying, no, that's wrong. What am I saying? What am I talking about? The MEC was found was filmed talking to an to a patient in 
in, in Limpopo, in a Villa Villa hospital, and this patient was not in the best conditions, not in the best conditions. And she was telling her that, hey, man, you're from Zimbabwe and you're an illegal immigrant in this country. You coming over here to get health care in our country. Why don't you get health care over there? Now, to play devil's advocate, I get what she's saying, saying that, you know, we don't need any more strain on our health system, a health system that's not just in Limpopo, but the whole country. The health system is not really the best, you know, and we, we don't really need any more strain. On the other side, that's kind of unfair. Let's consider the fact that it's not just immigrants and illegal immigrants that are putting strain on the health system. It's the people in charge as well. Mismanagement of funds, mismanagement of resources, everything. You know, she's, I feel like she's diverting blame to people. Some people, some people say it's deserving because why is this person trying to get healthcare here? But I would ask you, if you are in a country where healthcare is not the best and just next door, literally just next door, you could get better service, where would you go? Pregnant pause. Yeah, exactly. So I don't get what she means by what are you doing over here? We not cause especially since she's a doctor. As a doctor, you took the Hippocratic oath. You're gonna serve and help anybody that needs medical attention. It's unfortunate that this is an undocumented immigrant, but at the end of the day, this is still a patient in the hospital who needs health care. Private and this is a free this is a free government institution, meaning this person is entitled to health care, right? Right? Wrong? No? Okay. So let me know what you think. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is the Telegram line. Email me on air at highfm.com. Tweet me at highfm. Let's have this conversation. Tell me if you agree with her. Tell me if you don't agree with her. Cause I'd understand both sides. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to seem like I'm trying to please everybody, but I get her sentiment saying that our health system doesn't need any more strain. But at the same time, I'm saying the health system wouldn't be strained as much if <laughs> you you did what you were supposed to do and you took care of it you know that's just my two cents though let us move on i want to talk about this because in light of the kenyan elections that are happening we forgot that angola also held elections what seriously yes and the winner was okay <laughs> you know craig every time there's a word one word in all these articles that just gets me by the way i'm not alone in studio i have craig the man gave me a thumbs up he's not a man of many words i'm gonna try to say this joao lorenco if i said it wrong please forgive me okay i am but a child <laughs> angola's ex-general gets his second stint at the helm who is he? A senior military officer who became a graft buster and turned on his political patron upon seizing power, Angolan President João Lorenco has won a second term, but the victory was not a walk in the park. The 68-year-old secured a new mandate in the, in the tightest vote held in the oil-rich country on August 24th. That was just last week. Uh, he leads the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola, otherwise known as the MPLA Party, which has ruled the country for nearly half a century after sweeping to power in 1975. Wow. I wasn't even born in 1975. <laughs> Obviously. His victory was officially confirmed 24 hours after he buried his predecessor, the country's longtime ruler, Jose Eduardo dos Santos. See, now there's a name I can say. Jose Eduardo dos Santos. Rose off so nice so nice, who died in Spain last month after an illness. 
He was handpicked by Dos Santos and he took over in 2017. That year, his party won with a comfortable 61% of the votes. This time, he swung back to office with just 51%. Ooh, very ANC-like, isn't it? <laughs> he had promised sweeping reforms and a crackdown on corruption, but as the results showed... Support for the Soviet-educated former general has faded as the oil-rich country grapples with soaring poverty, inflation, drought, and unemployment. Seriously, this is starting to sound more and more like the ANC. What's his name? Jose Lorenco. No, Juan Lorenco. Jose is his predecessor. I want to find a name. I want to find a South African name for this dude because this is seeming more and more like the ANC. You know? I'll call him João Jamini. Mm-hmm. There we go, João Jamini. That's his new name from now on. And he is the leader of Angola. He just won the elections and he is he has he's he's in his second term right now and he seems to be providing this to, to be promising. There we go. Don't stumble on your words, Mukundi. He seems to be promising the same things that he seems to be propagating. Because he did say that he'll crack down on corruption and reforms and all that, but nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. Shame. That's what that's what's happening in Africa. That was my little update that I had for you, Doctor Papi Ramatuba, you know, with the hospital and the illegal immigrant, and Joao Jamini. Like I said, that's his new name because his second name his second name is just too hard to pronounce anyway. I want to end off with the animals, my favorite people. I talked about the rhinos a couple a couple weeks ago, and I want to bring your attention to them again because. It's a serious issue. It's a serious issue that the rhinos are getting poached day by day. The numbers are growing and it's staggering. It's, it's, it's really confusing. It's, okay, it's not confusing. It's just upsetting. You know? It's just upsetting. But rhino conservative groups say a collaborative cross-border approach is needed to stop poaching. And South Africa, we have lost 259 rhinos to poaching in the first half of the year. That's a lot. Especially considering with COVID, the numbers just spiked. I think we had more po- more rhino poaching in the last two years than we had in a long time, which is alarming. It's cause for concern. And like I said, I really just want my kids to see rhinos. You know, I really just want to see rhinos for myself again because it seems we're headed down a very bad slope. A very bad slope because poaching. What do you even need rhino horns? Does anyone know what they use rhino horns for? Please let me know. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019. Email on air at highfm.com or you can tweet at highfm. Tell me what rhino, tell me what rhino horns are useful for because I feel like poachers just killing, are killing rhinos for sport at this point. But before I get too upset, that is what's happening in Africa. That is what's happening with the animals. I hope you enjoyed it. 21 minutes past 10 is the time. 101.9 High FM. Tribal Pursuit is the name of the show and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. In a few in a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Mr. Sam Levy of the Mozambican Jewish community. But before we do that, I just wanted to bestow some wisdom upon you, as I do every week, because I'm such a good friend and I care about you. <laughs> Today's proverb is only a fool test the depth only a fool test the depth of a river with both feet. Simple, right? Now let me read the explanation to you because once again I can't think of anything this cool to say. 
Some risks are acts of bravery, but others are acts of foolishness. Wisdom is knowing the difference between bravery and brainlessness. Only a fool tests the depth of water with both feet. To test the depth of a river with both feet is to leap before looking. Many of us think that faith is taking a step when you don't see the staircase, but that's not faith, it's fantasy. If anything, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. D- that was Martin Luther King, by the way. Don't test the depth of a river with both feet, meaning don't commit yourself to a situation without thinking about it first. Are you intending to marry? Take time to learn about it before you commit yourself to anyone. Do you want to start an investment in stock? Be sure you understand at least the basics of the stock markets before you buy any shares. Whatever it is you want to undertake, be it a project or a profession, think through it thoroughly. Don't just be carried away by the benefits you've heard or read. Be cock... 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 It's a word, okay? It's a word. I don't know how to read it. C-O-G-I-T-A. Cogitative? I don't think that's a word. That sounds wrong. Is it cognitive? Okay, 10.29 is the time, 101.9 High FM, this is Travel Pursuit. We will be speaking to Sam Levy of the Mozambican Jewish community straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. We have a friend of the show today, straight from Mozambique, Mr. Sam Levy. Mr. Levy, how are you doing this morning? I'm well, thank you, and thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to have you, and thank you for making the time today. So, I saw this name on the internet, and I'm not even going to try to say it. (laughs) It was in Portuguese, and it was very complicated. Could you please say it for me, and also just tell me where it comes from and the history behind it? Well, the, the community, the full name of the community is uh, Association Honendalim, Comunidad Judaica de Mozambique. And it's, it's embedded in the name is some interesting history because uh, when the community was founded, it was uh, at a time in Portuguese colonial history. And of course, Mozambique at the time was a colony of Portugal mm. in which it was quite uh, complicated to be to have any organized faith besides the Catholic faith, right? Mm. And so the community was not organized as a synagogue per se or as a religious community per se, but as a mutual support society. And honendalim in in Hebrew means support for the poor, right? Mm. So we all, we've always kept the name honendalim. There has long been a a Honendalim dimension to our identity because when we got refugees in the community from uh, from Europe in the Second World War or other needy uh, people, part of the job of the community was to support them. But in fact, it's the umbrella for the Jewish community in Mozambique and, and has been for uh, in different incarnations for many years. In different incarnations throughout the years. And could you please tell me the history of your community? Besides just people helping each other out, who started the community and how did you grow to where you are now? Yeah, okay. Also an interesting history and, and very closely connected with South Africa. So uh, you got to go back to the 19th century and okay. to the um, the gold, the discovery of gold on, uh, on the Rand, right? And um, Maputo, which was then Lourenço Marques, capital of uh, Portuguese uh, Mozambique, mm-hmm. uh, was the port city through which uh, gold 
left South Africa and through which all of the inputs to mine gold in South Africa came. So it was a boom town, right? Mm-hmm. And some Jewish people came here to do business and uh, gradually they got together into a community. Now, they weren't formally organized until I think it was 1899 when um, the chief rabbi of, of, well, he was the chief rabbi of South Africa at the time, uh, Rabbi J.H. Hertz, a right? mm-hmm. very famous uh, commentator of, and, and organizer of the um, editor of the Hertz Chumash, as it's called, used in, in many synagogues the world over for, for many decades. Uh, he was deported from South Africa, um, s- uh, specifically from, from the Transvaal, that's the Boer Republic of Transvaal. He was deported at the time of, of the Boer War because uh, he was the big supporter of the English and of, uh, of Queen Victoria. And when he came through Maputo, Lorenzo Marques was then, and, and he met all the Jews there, he said, you people need to get organized. You need to formally establish a community. And so they did. They, it was kind of the the, um, uh, the spark, if you will, that motivated people to get formally organized. They they started Honendalim, and they finally built the synagogue and inaugurated it a little bit later, 1926. But uh, certainly within the how shall I put it, with the benefit of Rabbi Hertz's encouragement, and it's you know it's been it's grown and and shrunk since that time. But uh, it was returned after being nationalized, was returned to the Jewish community in 1989. And we restarted services and restarted uh, Jewish life, organized Jewish life in the country. And then we, the building itself, we uh, rebuilt from the ground up in 2013. So the building looks exactly as it did in 1926, but almost everything in it is actually uh, new material. Wow. And I was actually going to ask about the synagogue because I saw that it was abandoned for a while and used as a warehouse. How was it rebuilding the synagogue and getting the community back together to where you are today? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was ever abandoned. The property was nationalized. Hmm. Um, so the government held it for some years. The, the government used it as a – well, they gave it to the Red Cross – and the Red Cross used it as a warehouse. Uh, it was next door to the Red Cross headquarters in Maputo. And then, you know, it was a group of Jewish people from South Africa, uh, among them uh, Stan Hoffman, who uh, talked to their friend Alcus Macropolis, based in Maputo, and said, you know, is there any chance of getting the synagogue back? And Alcus uh, went to the government and talked to the prime minister, and the prime minister said, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was really easy in the end to to have <laughs> just it restored, like just like that. Well, you know, uh, when the, we have a saying, when you're when you're trying to do a mitzvah, uh, you get special help from above, right? Mm-hmm. So Alkis obviously had special help to to make it happen. Uh, Stan was obviously very important in that too. But um, the synagogue was returned. Of course, it was in terrible condition, um, but uh, and the community had or less scattered. So when I first showed up to the in community life, it wasn't at the very beginning, but in 1993, the only observance we had at the synagogue was on Saturday afternoons, Shabbat afternoon, mm. people would get together and they would sing 
they would sing uh, folk songs. And that was, that was it. And, and from that, and it was, believe me, uh, in terms of Kavanaugh, in terms of sincere feeling, nothing, few prayers I have ever attended surpassed those folk songs on Saturday afternoon. Right. But from there, the first steps were taken to, to observe the Chagim, right? So there was then, from then on, there was a Seder okay. every year in Maputo at Pesach. And, um, Eventually, you know, we had really good leadership. Uh, Larry and Diane Herman, an, an American couple who were really instrumental in, in rebuilding, um, got involved and we started having services on, on Shabbat. And, you know, then we built from there and we had a Hebrew school for the children every Sunday morning uh, for a while and uh, up to COVID. <laughs> COVID was a bit of a blow. To, to community life. But we're still, you know, it's a blow from which we're all, all of the Jewish world is recovering. All of the world is recovering. And, sure. you know, we're, we are hopeful that, uh, uh, our community will continue to, to thrive, small as it is, and be a source of blessing to, to the Jewish people and, and all the Mozambican people of which we're part. And how is the community? I heard you say that it's a very small community. How many people are there and, What's the current state of affairs? Yeah, well, it's uh, the numbers are small, but as you know, in uh, Jewish life, we don't really count numbers. <laughs> That's not the the big thing. It's it's a it's a quality over quantity. Mm. But uh, you know, if I had to if I had to count, um, I, we might be at this point maybe fifty people in the community. Wow. But we're always discovering more and it's a community where you have the people who are permanent in Maputo okay. and people who come through right they're okay. either there for two years or three years as diplomats or as as business people and you know as Mozambique grows and thrives uh, our hope is that the Jewish community will will be a part of that and will also grow and thrive and how is community involvement you know given that Judaism is a religion where Everybody has a role to play and we have to help each other. You know, one hand washes the other. How is community involvement with you guys? Well, I mean, with a community this small, and this is true in all over Southern Africa. I mean, the Jewish communities are modest in numbers, mm. right? Um, for a community affairs to, to proceed, Everyone has to take a role. You know, you have, if you want it done, <laughs> step up and, and get involved and do it is kind of the base, base of it. But that said, uh, thank God when, when there are people who are keen on Jewish life, uh, thriving, there's a very good response, uh, from the Jewish people in the, in the town. So, um, you, you have to be sure that, you know, extra phone calls, ask people to do things. Would you, you know, sponsor this? Would you organize this? Would you prepare study materials for this or that, whatever it ha- whatever holiday or whatever occasion it happens to be? And, uh, you know, people step up. So a small community life is like that. Every, you have to in- involve people, otherwise it doesn't happen. That's beautiful. And I saw that there was a time in the 80s where Judaism kind of came to a halt and this somewhat played a role in your synagogue being nationalized and everything. But 
Why did Judaism come to a halt in the 80s only to make a resurgence in the 90s? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, look, uh, their halt, Judaism never comes to a halt. That's to define terms. <laughs> what happens is observance can wane or organized Jewish life can wane. And right. that's, that's what happened. I mean, there was a policy in, after the revolution in Mozambique, religion in general was discouraged, right? It's very ironic because uh, I'm misplaced because Mozambique is a very deeply religious society. People in 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 Mozambique are uh, how should I put it? Religion is is central to their identity, their own particular religions, and respect for religion in general uh, across uh, faith lines is very strong. But it was an unusual period after independence and. And with aspirations to socialism and maybe learning at the, at the table of people who didn't respect religion. But at the time, religion was discouraged, right? And it was classified as obscurantism. So, uh, other faiths were also discouraged. There was nothing particularly, uh, extraordinary about Judaism. It wasn't singled out at all. Um, and that sort of anti-religious sentiment began to dissipate. And the natural Mozambican character of, of, um, uh, warmth and respect for faith, uh, reasserted itself by the end, by the time the civil war was, was winding down in Mozambique. So by the nineties, you know, all those, those, uh, older tendencies had, had, uh, had dissipated and people could go back to the way they really were and felt. Hmm. And I would assume this was a time of great celebration for everybody, yourself included. Yeah, uh, it was, we had so many wonderful moments, right? The, uh, the satyrs, all the satyrs were so beautiful. We had the first, uh, uh, bar mitzvah to be celebrated in Maputo in many decades. Um, we had the first bat mitzvah and then it became kind of a, not, I can't say <laughs> annual thing. But you know, repeated, right? So we we got to know what we were doing. But every time, uh, you know, you you have a community milestone like that, religious or or otherwise, um, it's very deeply inspirational to the people who who participate. So yeah, it's that's that's definitely true. Great moments. And I actually have a question that I meant to ask you. It just completely slipped my mind when you were talking about the synagogue earlier, but. Your community Sefer Torah was taken and brought to South Africa for safekeeping. It was only until 2013 when the synagogue was rebuilt that you actually brought the Sefer Torah back to Mozambique. How was that experience for you, actually being there? And I'm pretty sure this was your first time seeing it as well. Yes, a, a, a great um, community life moment, our Achnasad Sefer Torah ceremony. And the people who, who organized this uh, were Rabbi Moshe Silverhoffs of the African Jewish Congress mm-hmm. and uh, Mrs. Ann Harris, right? um, the widow of uh, Rabbi Cyril Harris, who had originally gotten that particular Sefer for the, for the community. So the Achnasad Sefer Torah was, it was time to coincide with the reinauguration of the building. So it was a real, um, you know, Chanukat Bayit. It was a, a, uh, inauguration of the house. 
right. or a renewal of the house, uh, in, in the classic sense. And it was a beautiful occasion, very powerful. And just to give you a sense of how broadly powerful it was, the keynote address, um, at the Hachnasat uh, Sefer Torah was given by Sheikh Aminuddin, who's the head of the Muslim community mm. in Mozambique, right? So it was a moment of great Jewish joy. It was also a moment of great interfaith joy, um, to see the Sefer Torah back in its place in, uh, in the synagogue in, in the Aaron in Maputo. This is Trouble Pursuit on 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao, and we are talking to a friend of the show, Mr. Sam Levy, straight from the Mozambican Jewish community. We're learning a lot, and if you're enjoying the conversation, do let us know. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is the telegram line. If you want to email me, feel free to do so on air at highfm.com. And if you want to tweet me, you can just at highfm. Let me know if you're enjoying the conversation. Let me know if you're not enjoying the conversation conversation you just want to say hi to me or our friend of the show then <laughs> do that too you know <laughs> 101.9 high fm tribal pursuit is the name of the show we'll be back straight after this this is tribal pursuit with mukundi mudao venturing deep into africa to discover the who how and why of the beautiful people that identify as jewish 101.9, Chai FM, this is Trouble Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend, Mukni Mudao, top of the morning. We're still talking to a friend of the show today, Mr. Sam Levy, from the Mozambican Jewish community. There's another name for it, but he said it earlier on. If you didn't get it, listen to the podcast, because I'm not going to bite my tongue trying to say it. If you have any questions for him, however, 34519 is how you send them via email. 061-895-1019 is how you send it via telegram. If you want to email your question on air at highfm.com. And if you want to tweet, feel free, we got you. At highfm and we'll get to your messages. So, Mr. Sam Levy, you mentioned that there was a lot of interfaith joy when you were bringing back the Sefer Torah and opening your synagogue again. So, from what I'm gathering, it's very peaceful in Mozambique for Jewish people, but as you may know, it's very hard being Jewish, it's very hard being Jewish in the world. There's hate and scrutiny everywhere, but you guys seem to be doing very well. How is your interaction with the other communities, the Muslim community, the Christian community, all throughout Mozambique? Oh, interaction with other communities here uh, is extremely positive. We uh, Mozambique is very committed to interfaith dialogue as a as a culture. It might be in part because of our legacy of of how what a role uh, religious communities played in ending the civil war. But whatever the origin is, is a very strong affirmative. Commitment to, uh, tolerance and mutual understandings. Mm. Uh, so religious, interfaith religious events are, are frequent, right? People are welcome in the houses of worship of other faiths and are warmly received when they decide to visit and, and, uh, attend services. Um, there's a genuine interest in understanding how other people conduct their, their, uh, religion, uh, what their beliefs are, and a, and a great deal of, of tolerance. And it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful distinguishing qualities of Mozambican society and, and something from which others, I, I hope, uh, can learn. And how's the 
Portuguese or the Mozambican influence on the community. By that I mean, I'll make an example with the South African Jewish community. The South African Jewish community loves Kurt Darren, even though I'm yet to meet an Afrikaans Jewish person. Kurt Darren is probably the biggest Afrikaans musician we have in the country. But the Jewish community just loves Kurt Darren. What is it in the Jewish community in Mozambique that just is part of the community but is not part of Judaism, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. Because, you know, in Jewish in Jewish practice, we always distinguish between uh, halakha uh, and minhag, between law and custom. Mm-hmm. And law is um, interpretable, but fundamentally immutable, uh, whereas custom is uh, broadly changeable and responsive mm-hmm. to people's needs. So community, from the time of its inception in the 19th century, has always been a very a community of mixed traditions because the people who came to Mozambique, the Jewish people who arrived in Lorenzo Marx and then who continue to arrive in Maputo today are coming from the most varied origins, right? Um, some are Sephardic, some are Ashkenazic, English speaking, Portuguese speaking, neither <laughs> French speaking. Uh, we get people from all over. Mm. So we have in, in Mozambique a very, um, a practice, uh, we call it Nusach Maputu, right? The, the Maputu melody, if you will, or a, a Maputu liturgy. And, you know, it's recognizable to anyone if you go to our Kabbalat Shabbat service, it's a standard Kabbalat Shabbat service. But the, the songs that we sing, the, the, the way we interact, uh, is, is probably distinct to Maputu. It's a mixture of uh, mostly, it's mostly Hebrew. Mm. But some Portuguese and some English, because we, we want to make sure, like, that everyone can follow something. And we don't daven from a sitter. We daven from a, a booklet that has four, uh, mostly four columns in it, as it were. One is, uh, the Hebrew, uh, the Portuguese, the English, and the transliteration of the Hebrew. So that, mm. uh, everyone is literally on the same page in their language of choice. Right, and if they don't know the Hebrew, if they can't read Hebrew, they can still read the translation, so they can learn all the songs and then join in. So it's a very musical uh, and and uh, happy service, because <laughs> and that's just the tradition that's developed there. And that's unique to your community. I think that might be unique to us. It might well be. <laughs> yeah, I've certainly never heard of it. <laughs> And speaking of all these languages, what's the main language of instruction there? Is it English or Portuguese? It's both. I mean, it depends. We we try and make everything accessible based on people's needs. We're very strong because we get people from all over, right? Hmm. Um, our our duty is to serve the Jewish community. So we're going to do our best in whatever language they they need to be reached, right? Is covered by English and Portuguese. Uh, there'll occasionally be people who, you know, don't have either, and we struggle a bit. Mm. But for the most part, you know, if, if you're asked to read something, for instance, on, on, uh, on Friday night, uh, one of our responsive readings, you're asked to read in the language of your choice. Wow. So it doesn't matter if the other person doesn't understand what you're saying, because at the end of the day, you gave them 
all these other options to choose from, right? All these other languages. Exactly right. Exactly right. So <laughs> I want to talk about food. Let's talk about food for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make me hungry, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> I just wanted to ask, do you follow Kashrut? And in terms of your meat, who does the slaughtering? Mm. Well, we don't have any, we don't have a shochet, right? Mm. So, um, for kosher meat, we basically go to South Africa. And uh, the people at Kosher World in Johannesburg are just, you know, what we call Oruso Brazil in Portuguese. They're, they're gold on blue, <laughs> which is the Portuguese, Portuguese way of saying really great. Mm. Because whenever we have, especially on Pesach, last few years of COVID, we did it a little differently. Mm. Um, but traditionally, you know, we make an order and, uh, and, you know, one of our friends takes it across the border. And when there's, uh, families that need, that do, uh, observe kashrut and need, uh, kosher meat, we, we almost always get it from South Africa. Wow. So everything else you can get in Mozambique, but the meat in particular you have to get in South Africa. That's right. We don't, we, we don't have a shochet and never have had a shochet here. But you know, interestingly, <laughs> Uh, we are very good friends with, uh, Rabbi Eli and Razel Rosenfeld, the uh, Rabbi and Rebbitz in, in, uh, Kashkaj in Portugal. And they came to Portugal from America. And they came to visit us in Maputo. And they said, you know, it's a lot easier to keep kosher in Mozambique than in Portugal. Or at least was at the time. Because so many of the products, so many of the groceries in, in, um, available in Maputo are from South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so they come with a heksher. Uh, so you can walk down the aisles and fill your cart with hexured products in, um, in Maputo, which you can't, certainly can't do in an average supermarket in, uh, in Lisbon, say. In some respects, it's, it's a lot easier because of our proximity to, uh, to Johannesburg and to South Africa generally. Yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt. I remember talking to a member of the Tanzanian Jewish community and he was saying that he was absolutely shocked by how much kosher food there is here in South Africa. We are spoiled for choice. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> this is this is a phenomenon where you don't, you know, when you're in a small and distant Jewish community, mm. I mean, you can that, take your observations about, well, the Tanzanian experience with seeing what spoiled for choice in kosher food and extrapolate that to so many other different contexts. Because the, the ability to, to daven in a minion, right? It, it, it's, it's not something you can take for granted in small communities, right? So the, it, for, for us, when, when we go out of, of Mozambique and, and get a minion in a place, it's very inspiring. It's very special. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things where, you know, size, your small size is a, is a real disadvantage as well. But you know you make do with with you you make do with the best you can with what the resources you have, and uh, you rely on the help of other Jewish communities in other places like South Africa. I mean, I can't tell you how frequently, how many years we ask Rabbi Silverhoft to send to organize to get us a lulav and etrog in Maputo, right? so that we can observe Sukkot. And now we've planted our own, we have our own etrog trees and our own, <laughs> at this point, trying to become self-sufficient. So we have our own etrog trees on the synagogue grounds, mm. palm, 
palm branches are easy to get in Maputo, so that's not a problem. We've planted and, and can get the uh, hadasim, the myrtle, but for whatever reason, we cannot get a willow tree to grow around Maputo, so we can't get the aravot. So we're almost there, but we've got a few years until we can get our our willow project going in in Maputo. But that's just that's a digression. The real point is that you know, Ko Yisrael Arevim Zelaza, Jewish people are responsible for each other. And so we can all, I can pick up the phone and I'm sure this is true of other communities, talk to Rabbi Silverhoff or other uh, community leaders in South Africa and ask for help. It will be forthcoming. I have no doubt. Right. Uh-huh. And that's, that's part of the beauty of uh, being part of the world Jewish community. That's the beauty of it all. As small as you guys are, you're never really alone, is it? That's right. We're not. We're genuinely not. Speaking of which, I hear you talk a lot about Rabbi Soberhaft, which I would assume that means your interaction with other Jewish communities and organizations outside of Mozambique is pretty strong. But just to be safe, how is your interaction with other Jewish communities and organizations outside of Mozambique? Well, AJC is very important to us. Um, African Jewish Congress, no question. Hmm. Um, the, we're also members of the Commonwealth Jewish Council, which is a, based in the UK and gather and, and, um, helps organize and support, uh, Jewish communities in, uh, the, the Commonwealth as that's defined, um, in the world, including many countries in East Africa, including Mozambique. Hmm. Mostly former British colonies, obviously, but Mozambique was not, but, and is nevertheless a member of the Commonwealth. And that's, that's run by Clive Lawton. He's been a, a pillar of support to us. Um, and, you know, we're in regular Zoom meetings with, uh, different communities, either through AJC or, or CJC. And we, we stay in touch. We're in closer touch even now, uh, during COVID than we were before. And COVID had taught us all new habits of, of communication and study. So, um, yeah, it helps us keep, uh, keep in close contact and compare notes and support each other. Beautiful, beautiful. And I have one more question, which is just about you. How is it being the leader of a very small community such as yours? And also, where do you see the community or hope to see the community in five, ten years from now? Oh, Goodness me. <laughs> Ten years from now, I, I would love it if the Sunday school for the children was, uh, a sustained and regular occurrence. That we had many, uh, regular bar and bat mitzvahs in the community and weddings. Mm. That would be a, a beautiful thing to see. And that the community remains sort of stable and there for the People who are permanent and the people who who visit that that would be a beautiful thing to uh, to see. You know, part of our commitment as Jews is to uh, pass on what we're given the the beautiful heritage that we receive to the next generation. Mm. So training young people that needs to be our priority. Uh, so that that's where I'd like to see the community focus, and the thrill for me would be to see that happening in a sustained way 10 years from now. Couldn't have said it better myself. Mr. Sam Levy, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us today and 
you are officially a friend of the show. <laughs> oh, bravo. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was only a pleasure. It was only a pleasure. This is Travel Pursuit on 101.9 High FM. I'm your dear friend Mukundimudao, and that was a conversation with Mr. Sam Levy from the Mozambican Jewish community. Do not go anywhere. Just stretch your legs for a few minutes, take in what Mr. Sam Levy just said, and you'll be back with your friend Mukundi straight after this. High FM, your station of choice since 2008. Wow. 101.9 High FM, this is Travel Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudal. You just heard a conversation between myself and Mr. Sam Levy of the Mozambican Jewish community. I hope you enjoyed it. Unfortunately, we are running out of time, so we, uh, <laughs> this man is, is kicking me out of studio. Sorry, Craig. <laughs> Gave me a thumbs up. So, let's do this again in seven short days. Seven short days. Shouldn't be too long, right? However, if you did enjoy my conversation with Mr. Sam Levy, do go listen to it again on the podcast. That's on the High FM website. And while you're at it, listen to other shows because, as you know, we have other great shows on High FM that I'm certain you will enjoy. Do not go anywhere. Mr. Dennis Prager is up next with the Male Female Hour where they talk about women, men, relationships, and everything about it. Just looking at the messages, I have a message from Hillel who says, Hi, anyone who's in the country, whoever they are or wherever they come from, must qualify for healthcare. The sanctity of all life is, wait, the sanctity of all life is all encompassing. Save one life and you save the world. I couldn't agree more. Exactly. Why should this one person suffer because you ruined the healthcare system and now you can't provide basic healthcare to anybody that needs it? Basically, I agree with you, Hillel. Thank you for your comment and thank you for listening to you, my friend at home. Hope you enjoyed your coffee. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for spending your Wednesday morning with me. I do not leave you alone. I leave you with techno saying, Pana, I want you to listen to that for about a minute. Just get your groove right. Process what we had, what we had to talk about today and I'll see you in seven short days, like I said. From myself and Craig, until next time, enjoy the rest of your day.